Hello, and thank you for joining This Is Just A Phase. I'm your host, Jonathan Kent. Just a few quick reminders before we get started with this episode. I want to remind everybody to go out and tell your friends that they can listen to this podcast on Spotify, Apple iTunes, uh, Google Podcasting, and wherever else that they can listen to podcasts. Also, go head over to our Facebook group at This Is Just A Phase for updates on past and uh, present episodes, as well as music videos, touring updates, merch opportunities, and whatever else we feel like throwing up on there. If uh, Facebook isn't your thing, you can go over to my personal Instagram at jonathan.kent.311 for a lot of that same information. Uh, that being said, do yourself a favor and also head over to this is just a record label.bandcamp.com and check out the brand new unreleased, previously unreleased demos by the Prozacs called Welcome to Camp Cheerful. It was recorded originally in on starting on June 29, 2002 in Cleveland, Ohio with members of the Cleveland punk band The Vermin. Um, it's the first documented songs recorded by the band. And uh, for the completists out there who is a fan of the Prozacs, uh, I suggest you go out and check it out. Uh, right now, it's uh, $12 plus shipping, as well as uh, two additional bundles being available. Um, well, with that being said, Jay, take us away. And you've got no self-esteem There's a hole inside your head With no vision to be seen Let's go Let's go Let's go On this incredible episode, I sit down and chat with Carl Geisert of the intergalactic pop-punk band Mantis Watch. We chat about starting up the band and what influenced him growing up, the storyboard and the ethos behind the band itself, and possibly a Mantis Watch comic book. We also chat about pop-punk songwriting and the complexity of writing outside the typical structure of the genre, as well as working with Matt over at Out Loud Records and Athena at Little Lost Girl Media, the concept of Channel 101, and so much more. So sit back and get transported by this episode of This Is Just a Phase. This is a track from Channel 101, which was released last year, entitled Dr. Asshole. 
Hi, Carl. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to come onto the podcast. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've, uh, I've been I've been listening for for a while, so oh, well, to come on. Well, great. That's fantastic to hear. Uh, it's nice to know that people are uh, tuning in and checking out you know past episodes and stuff. It makes me feel like what I'm doing's uh, reaching people, so that's good. <laughs> so um yeah like I- i've known of your band uh mantis watch uh for quite a number of years and um we have a mutual friend in athena yes. and um it, it, it felt like the best time to to have you guys on when you guys made the announcement that you uh will be uh putting a release out on her uh, little lost girl label yeah that was really awesome, and uh, I, I figured we'd just start there. Like, uh, you guys have been a band since uh, twenty eleven. Yes. Um, w- before reaching out to Little Lost Girl, I, I saw that you did some work with uh, Matt over at Out Loud Records. Yes. Um, what was your decision to go from Matt to to going over to being on Athena's label? Well, you know, we we love Matt. Um, you know, I I. My friendship with Matt predates um, even the label and stuff like that. You know, he's he's from, you know, a, a couple hours north of us. So, you know, our bands had played together in the past and, you know, we we chatted about stuff. And um, and yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's so much a decision to go with Athena over Matt. I mean, there's a couple releases that I've already talked with Matt about. And one of my conditions when we were talking about signing with Athena was, you know, the the releases that I've already talked to with to Matt about, you know, I want to still be on Out Loud, you know, so there's still going to be some Out Loud stuff coming out with us. Um, but Athena is just, she's incredibly passionate about the music and she's passionate about the band. I mean, she reached out to us and was just like, I love what you guys are doing. Um, and it's just really exciting to be working with someone that believes in us as strongly as she does. I mean, I think she uh believes in us more than we believe in us sometimes so um well that's that's really cool though because like she had i've been taught i've been friends with athena for a few years and we kind of look at each other as confidants like when when things are going on with with our lives and our labels Mm -hmm. we always are there to support one another and uh, she had reached out to me even before she made the announcement uh, that she she uh, got you guys to to come on board with her label, and she like she's such a fan that like it doesn't matter the size of the band, she is gonna mm-hmm. she she treats every band like they're on the same wavelength. You know what I mean? Like she was yeah. freaking out and like like oh my god, I got this band to, to come to my label, and she just was so excited. And you don't see that too much anymore, yeah. that that level of excitement for the majority of people. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, it was one of the things that I'm most refreshing about Athena is just her kind of um, her enthusiasm for the music. And, you know, and I and I love that the label you know, it's it's expanding out into other mediums, but uh, but started out as an eight track label. You know, I mean, I think we're a band 
that we like to take an idea that sounds impractical on its face and try to do the best version of it and surprise people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think Athena's philosophy about things very well meshes with what we're trying to do as a band. So I think it's an ideal fit for us. Um, and you, okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. You know, just her her starting this 8-track label and, and the way that she she goes about it and just like, well, I'm going to put out eight tracks, but it's not going to be just this half-assed, like I'm going to just throw them out there. Like each one is built by hand and, you know, quality check to make sure that it sounds as great as it can possibly sound. You know, I think there's, there's a version of an eight track label that could be really gimmicky. And I, you know, I love that Athena has committed to it so fully and she's, she's doing the best possible version. Um, of that that she can and that's that's just awesome and i think in this in this day and age you know the you know the 2020s it's you're watching so many different old formats come back anyways like you know the cassettes back um you know there's even talks like you know the picture discs and stuff like that and with my label we we do exclusive cds it's just the easiest cost efficient way to do it um mm-hmm. but i it's nice to see that somebody looked at the a-track medium and went you know what this can come back this can yeah. be vital even if all you do is look at it as a um okay here's a physical media that i may never play yeah you know like this is just a novelty item even if people just looked at that way how cool is it to have an eight track sitting up on your mantle? Like yeah. imagine the conversation piece and the conversation that would follow from that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But she's actually, like you said, she's actually making uh and 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 uh, making a great product that can be played. They they refurbish old eight track players. Um, I have a number of my friends who have gone out and bought a date track player just solely to play her, her eight tracks. Yeah. Well, and and yeah, I mean that, that element of it, the refurbishing of the eight track players and like making sure that people actually have an inexpensive option if they want to get an eight track player and actually listen to, to the releases that she's putting out. Um, providing that as well, just that commitment to it, I, I really, I really appreciate and I really like. Yeah, and we bonded really early on when she was starting the label too, because her second release that she put out was a band called the Hollywood Blondes. Oh yeah, I, I love the Hollywood Blondes. And I, I, I know the members from that band. Uh, we, you know, we're all from around the same area, the same scene, um, Youngstown, Ohio area. Yeah, and um, I'm in Pennsylvania, but I'll actually be moving uh, over to the, the Ohio side here in a couple weeks. Um, but I grew up in Pennsylvania, but always was a part of that Youngstown scene. Yeah, and to see that what I thought was a, uh, a just a local band, you know what I mean? Like you, you look at uh-huh. bands from your area and you go, you know, oh, they're not that big; they're just my buddy's band. But then to see somebody in Oregon go back and revisit an album that's 15 years old and she's mm-hmm. like oh I want to put it back out yeah and then she did it it was just like that kind of having your ear to the underground that way 
and the holding steadfast and to put it out on that media. It was just, it was such a smart move on her part to, to go that route. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that was one of the, that release was one of the things that put her on my radar as well. You know, I, I've always liked that band and I've always felt like they were underappreciated, um, mm-hmm. you know, probably just because their output isn't as much as other bands. You know, I think, I, I don't know exactly how many total songs they've released, but it's, not a whole lot so it's like um you know they're just one of those kind of like hidden gym bands that i think like escapes a lot of people's attention and for her to go put that out um that was how i first noticed her label was like oh someone's putting this out and on eight track this is cool so so yeah and and it's nice to see them get because i think they sometimes get lost in the shuffle of bands from my area because Uh john johnny three had had come from the same area Um, and they got a lot of the focus because they were earlier, um, when they put stuff out, but, you know, you know, Stiv had also did Rad, um, which is another incredible band too. Matt, Matt at Out Loud put out that CD as well. Yeah. Uh, And it's, it's nice to see that, like, cause he's a great, so Stiv's a great songwriter and it's, it's nice to see that, that, that band still, even though they're not, they haven't done anything in so long, there's still that appreciation for, for that band years later. It's really cool. Yeah. Jump 
entirely here to talk about Athena and the Hollywood Blondes. Uh, yeah. We're here to talk about your band. <laughs> All right. And I want to... I want to read the little quip from your uh, Facebook page and the band's Facebook page, excuse me, and then we can dive into the band. Okay. It says, in the year 2384, the Mantids descended upon the Earth, extinguishing three billion lives in an instant. In a final act of desperation, three brave souls were sent back in time to save humanity. They started a band for some reason. We are that band. <laughs> what? How do I say it? What made you decide to go this route with punk rock? Well, I mean, it it started with the name. I mean, we came up with the name early on in the process when we started the band. We all played together in a band called the Sci-Fi Nightmares. Um, and our singer moved to Seattle. But the three of us all still really wanted to keep playing music together. So we just kind of kept things going and we could not decide on a name for the longest time. And Manus Watch was one of those ones that came up early on in the process and we just kept going back to it. And um, and once we had the name, we were like, well, what <laughs> what is the band? If Manus Watch is the name, what is the band? Um, and I think at the time there were a lot of bands that were doing really creative things with like gimmicks around their band. You know, we were, mm -hmm. we were all really into the mean jeans. We were all really into personal and the pizzas. Um, and we just, we just liked a lot of what that was going on. So we kind of were leaning towards, we want some kind of um, thing beyond the music that we're kind of grabbing onto. Um and I think it was Matt that at some point it said, well, like Manus Watch, it almost sounds like a bad like B movie about mm -hmm. people coming back in time to stop an alien invasion or something, something along those lines. And so, um, so we're like, okay, that's what it is. And now, then, no, go ahead. Sorry. And then it was just one of those things where we've just kind of built upon that idea, um, as time has progressed. So, I mean, the idea started off as like, we're like actually back here and we're trying to stop this alien invasion. Um, but it didn't really make sense that we started a band. So Matt came up with the idea of like, well, what if we're just like, we think we're back here to stop an alien invasion, but what we really were, were test subjects that the time travel technology wasn't where it should be. The um, animal trials had gone horribly wrong. But there's this like alien invasion threatening to wipe out humanity. So they just round up the three most expendable people they can and send them back. That's um, awesome. And so so then we're like, okay, now that's something. That's like, all right, so we're we're back here to stop an alien invasion, but we're also really bad at everything that we do. <laughs> and that explains why we start a band, because we don't know what the heck we're doing. Um and so it's all kind of just stemmed out from there and you know, I um, went through a period of about six years where I wasn't really playing music actively because I had um, started my teaching career. I'd had two children who were both very small and um, I didn't really have a lot of time to play a lot of shows, but there was a lot of just like downtime when you have small children where you're just, mm -hmm. you know, comforting a baby or something like that. So I had a lot of time to think about things. So I just kind of refined the gimmick 
more and more and more. I wrote a comic book that hopefully will come out at some point. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things that we've just kind of refined over time and tried to make it into something I hope that, that resonates with people and that is a little within our, our little, little bubble. Um, and, you know, Matt from Out Loud definitely deserves some of the credit because I was just kind of like bouncing some of my ideas off of him as we're getting ready to release Channel 101. And he's like, why is none of this stuff making it into your social media posts? Why is none of this, like, mm-hmm. all of this, like, mythology around the band? And he's like, why don't you, why don't you use that? Like, people um, aren't going to pick up <laughs> this stuff unless you actually put it out there. So, um so he gets the credit for us kind of like taking a more um, direct approach with that in our social media postings and things like that. And we're trying to kind of go with a sort of sort of humorous version of it. And I'm and I'm glad that you touched on the whole comic book side of of things because um, in a day and age where it seems like music or musicians. Uh, dive into that that world. Whether it's it's Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance, he does the mm-hmm. Umbrella Academy series, or um, my friend Martin, he uh, from a band called Less Than Expected from um, Over My Way, he does a lot of work with comic books and a lot of work with um, mo- multimedia presentation, promotional work, yeah. and. In the day and age where it seems like people have such a short attention span, it it works for a band when they have more than one specific thing to offer. Yeah. Um, you know, in 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 the world of TikTok and the world of these short bursts of of media being thrown at you, if a band can make a story and have it be far beyond just a musical aspect and create mm-hmm. a visual side too, or something that's more uh, tangible, but not so throw away. Cause everything is yeah. so disposable, right? Mm-hmm. But the one thing is not disposable is, is art. You can, yeah. you know, bands can create more than just a song. You know, that's why it bothers me sometimes when there's, you know, Spotify and stuff like that is, I love artwork. I love the CD and a, and a record, the artwork that's associated to because that's when the band can make their mark. You know what I mean? Because the uh-huh. physical art is just as important as the, the audio art that they're presenting to it, you know? Yeah, um, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think there's something magical about the experience of getting a new album and just listening to it all the way through and like exploring through the liner notes. I mean, this is why I, you know, I love vinyl is just, you get that big kind of oversized cover art. Um, and there's just, just so much there that you can like explore and it becomes like an experience rather than something you put on in the background while you do other things. And I think in too many cases, music is becoming that it's becoming background. Um, and, and yeah, the art, and the whole package of it 
I think is what makes it something special. And we want to invite people, give them that opportunity to experience us in a way that is more active, if that makes sense, where mm-hmm. gives you a reason to like really stop and pay attention to what we're doing rather than just like, hey, this is pretty good music. And then, you know, you listen to it while you wash the dishes and then go on to something else. And to creating something like a comic book, too, where you guys are, like you said, you had this downtime while you were raising small children, you know, which I totally understand. I'm a parent of three myself. Um, having that downtime and, and then coming up with this story and continuously to um, continue to create more and more and more of the story to where it becomes enough that you're creating this alternate world. You're creating this alternate scenario for a band who plays, you know, 30 seconds to two minute long songs. Yeah. And it's, and you guys cover so many different topics that it's just not sci-fi. It's just not, um, you know, bubble punk. I mean, you guys are also playing, power pop and garage punk and you guys are jumping from sound to sound as much as you are topic to topic yeah I, I find that very i find that very interesting and i wanted to ask you like you personally what was your influences you know before you know what was your influences before you started uh was the sci-fi you said sci-fi disasters Sci-fi nightmares. Sorry, sci-fi nightmares, and eventually uh, Mantis Watch. So yeah, I mean, I've, I've always kind of resonated towards pop punk. Um, you know, I like my. I think my first album that I was just like, just had that kind of holy shit moment was um, "My Brain Hurts" by Screeching Weasel. I think that's like it's almost a cliche at this point. It's so many people's first. <laughs> introduction Mm -hmm. to this scene but i mean that was you know uh, but i think i've also always even since i was a kid i've gravitated towards sort of odd music um Mm -hmm. i remember uh when my family would go on road trips when i was a kid my brother had gotten a copy of flood by they might be giants yes and we used to listen to that um all the way through on road trips and you know we're just kind of sitting there in the car and there's not much to do other than just listen to it and absorb the music and i was always just kind of struck by how unique their perspective was um Mm -hmm. and they're also one of those bands that really kind of jumps between sounds like they have a sound that is kind of theirs but within that there's a lot of variation um and and yeah, I just I just really gravitated towards that. And you know, I remember discovering the Dead Milkmen when I was in like seventh grade, and just being like, like I'm I'm always really drawn to bands that like give me that thought of like, holy shit, I didn't know music could be this thing, you know, where it's just really unique, where people just lean into whatever aspect of that group of musicians personalities is that makes them different from everyone else where they just kind of lean into that and just produce something that is just completely um them and only could be produced by them that's the stuff that i've always like really gravitated towards um Mm. 
And so, you know, I wanted to do something like that with this band where it was just very much a pure just kind of distillation of all of the things that make me kind of odd and unique. Um, And I think that this was the band that I started when I just kind of first reached that point where it was like, well, you know, I'm I'm never going to play in a popular band that makes money. You know, I think everyone, when they're like a teenager in their early 20s, they think like, oh, yeah, people are going to notice this. And, you know, um, this could take off. And then you reach a point in your late 20s where you're like, oh, that's not going to happen. But you keep playing music because it's what you love to do. And this is the band that I started when I reached that point. And there's this liberation in that, like mm-hmm. knowing a career in music isn't in the cards. So I don't have to really consider the audience anymore. I can just make the music that I want to make. And if I do this in obscurity for the rest of my life, I don't care because like I enjoy what I'm doing. Um, And this is the first band where I just said, okay, well, yeah, I'm just going to take this as far as it'll go. What are the like weird things that I would be excited if I saw another band doing? Um, And And I think there's something freeing about coming to that realization too of like, listen, I'm not going to make it. I want to continue playing music and I want it to where it's not a chore. I want it to, if I want it, I want it to be fun. I want it to be something that I do sometimes. Yeah. It's absolutely liberating. You know, I think a lot of people think of it as like this sad moment, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that this band has done like the most creative stuff of any band that I've been a part of. And it's really kind of tied to that moment of, well, (laughs) this isn't going to happen for us, (laughs) but, uh, but that doesn't mean we can't create cool stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's kind of an irony in there that this is also one of the bands that I've been in and that has gotten the most recognition in terms of like, you know, people reaching out to me and saying like, Hey, I, I really love what you guys are doing. Um, you know, I say that so we've gotten a lot of recognition, which we haven't. But, you know, there's a steady trickle of messages from people that, like, our music resonates with, which is just, it's awesome. And I, I love it. I'm sure that this is not the world you were hoping for. Forgive us, Lord, we do not what we do. And I know I should tell you what's been going on. I just don't know how to break the news to you There's no more I'll see your lap Oh, please go water from 
I think what was so cool is we all we all were in the you know not to continuously bring it up, but it, it, it's hard not to bring up because it's compounded two years of our lives. Yeah. Um, you know when 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 the pandemic happened, we were all hunkered down. Uh-huh. We had all this time. We were on all these groups who you know treated each other really well. It, it became a almost social media family. Everybody was supporting everybody. Everybody was, you know, somebody would recommend a band. Like, I'm bored listening to the same stuff. Give me some bands to check out. And everybody was sharing whatever scene they were a part of, you uh-huh. know, whether it was somebody from California or somebody from Massachusetts or somebody from Montana. They were sharing bands. So people were getting exposed to bands all over again. It's like when somebody handed you a mixtape when you were 13 years old. Yeah. This was almost the social media equivalent of the mixtape. Where here's a bunch of bands. Check out my check out this Spotify playlist. There's a bunch of bands on there that you'll like. Yeah. And it just like opened up the floodgates and really got people out of a very desperate situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... Um... You know, I remember about six months into the pandemic, I I sent Nate from the dummy room a message saying very much the same thing, where it's just like the Facebook group, like it was really kind of my saving grace, like because it was one of those things where I went through six years where I wasn't playing music actively. And then my band, we, we get an EP together, we play a show in February of 2020. It's like, that's our first show back. And I'm so excited and like, just like, like, all right, the band is up and running again. We're going to do have all these plans that we want to do. And then the world just stops. And I'm like, well, what do I do? And like tapping into that community and having people like sharing bands and seeing what other bands are doing to stay creative as this going on is going on. Like this is, you know, it was a huge source of motivation for me. Um, and and yeah, I mean, the online community was was fantastic and it. You know, I, I definitely, there would have been, you know, Channel 101 was very much a pandemic record because mm-hmm. I was recording most of it alone by myself in like the back room of my house while my kids are sleeping. Um, <laughs> and it felt, it felt weird because I was recording most of it by myself and like the band wasn't getting together as a whole and working out these songs. Like I, I didn't feel right recording songs that we'd already written. You know, we had an album that we were going to be recording uh before the pandemic happened and i had to kind of start from scratch i was like well we're not going to record any of those songs right now because those are songs we wrote together and it feels weird to record them separately um so you know i i wrote that album because of the pandemic and i wrote it um because i was so inspired by what i was seeing from from other people and like other people's efforts to stay productive and to stay creative through all of this. Um, So yeah, there definitely would have been no channel 101 had it not been for the online community and just kind of the um, encouragement and inspiration that I drew from that. Yeah. Which is the album that, that I first heard from you guys. I remember just seeing it spammed everywhere. 
you know, channel 101, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I got to check out this fucking band because I want to check out new music. This looks like it would be something in the, in my speed. I love sci-fi. I love horror. I love B-movies, trauma. You know, I love all yeah. that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's nice to, it's, and it was nice to see bands not afraid to have fun again. Because yeah. like you mentioned earlier about the dead milkmen, you know, I got into the bubble a little bit differently. I got into, of course, the Ramones, but I got into the queers first. Yeah. Um, Love Songs for the Retarded was the first album that I heard by them. I must have been like 12 or 13. And where the Ramones were kind of, you know, yeah, they had funnier songs. Like, I want to, you know, I know I want to sniff some glue or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the funny, the fun, the funnier songs, it, the delivery was always straight Joey. You yeah. know, it was, it was just one, two, three, four, let's go. Uh-huh. And the queers to me were just, they wrote funny songs. You know what I mean? They, 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 you know, they weren't afraid of getting the humor involved or to, you know, cork the screw a little bit. Yeah. And then when I discovered, you know, the queers, and then eventually I would discover Screeching Weasel and MTX and all those bands. Um, it just, it was nice to like, it was like punk rock almost got kind of serious there for a while. Uh-huh. And it was good to go back to those bands who didn't take it so seriously. Yeah. You know, that, like, listen, we're playing punk rock. Not everything has to be, you know, a diatribe for politics or religion or sometimes it's okay to listen to a song like Ursula finally has tits. You know what I mean? And it's funny and you get you get on the joke and it's funny to you or like a parasite where, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's a funny song. Yeah. And it's nice to see more and more bands, especially as such going through such a traumatic event as as we all have, to see bands finding the humor again and 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 gravitating towards that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, absolutely. I I, I have a motto with all things that the band is. I, I say we take our stupidity really seriously, <laughs> or it's like we 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 try to be as silly as possible. I mean, and it's and it's not that we don't include some of the stuff that you're you're talking about, some of the more serious issues. I just kind of bury them under a <laughs> under a healthy layer of stupidity, because I feel like ultimately every song should be able to be enjoyed on a very surface level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I, you know, I've seen a lot of bands that their material becomes very dated, especially if you're doing a lot of political stuff. Um, you know, the references become dated and then your music becomes dated and no one really wants to listen to it anymore. And, yeah. um, and so it's like, if you want to make some kind of statement, I try to, you know, it, like I, I definitely put some kind of heavier stuff into that because it's like, you know, it was a weird time in everyone's life. And I was definitely putting a lot of what I was experiencing and feeling into it. But I was also just like, okay, well, I want this to be fun. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm making this album because I'm looking around at the world and it seems like everything is burning to the ground. But also, like, 
ultimately I want this album to make people feel good. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want people to feel a bit of hope. I want people to like have something to like escape from all of that. So I don't want to put those messages up front and center, you know, I'd rather have them be something that if you really want to dig into it, you know, they like it's there, but, um, but yeah, that's never been what this band is. We don't want to, um, we don't put like political messages or, um, anything like that up front and center. Every morning I wake up feeling so depressed Each day brings more disappointment and loneliness Oh yeah, something's gotta give Cause I've been pushed right to the edge These days it takes everything I got to get it out of bed to each other's partners Cause we both gotta pay the rent We've been working like suckers With nothing to show for it But if I was your mother I get to see your sweet smile every day And we care for each other And baby And it's and it's interesting too, especially with Channel One Hundred One, which is funny that you, you you wrote that during the pandemic because looking at some of the song titles, you you made it in a way that it could be political, or it uh-huh. could just be that's just what I wrote the song, you know, or yeah. or I just that's what I named the song. You know, songs like Bomb in the Brain, Dr. Asshole, Ikea Heights. Yeah. Those are things that you could see being political, but it's like you said, it's not like, oh, we're watching the flag burn, you know, or there's civil unrest within our country. You're you're putting the, you know, for what Manus Watch is, where you're you're with all the mythos behind the band it's almost like you're kind of looking from the outside like an outsider's perspective yeah if that makes any sense like you're coming back from the future and you're seeing what is going on as somebody from the future yeah and it's 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 almost like it's almost like the Terminator effect. Like it has to happen for this to happen, you know, for the end result to happen. This cycle has to happen. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. And by one of my favorite songs off of, off that, that CD is every, every other, each other's butlers. Oh, <laughs> okay. I really okay. like that fucking song. I don't know why. I just really like that song. I I'd probably listen to that song on repeat, like quite a number of times. Oh, well, well, thank you for saying that, because that, that's one of my 
one of my personal favorites on the album. And, you know, I've, I've talked to, to Matt, our bass player about it. He's, he says that's his favorite song on the record as well. Um, and I think that, you know, building on what we were talking about, like with kind of keeping all of that stuff, the surface, I mean, there's a lot going on with that song in terms of what, what I wanted to say with it. You know, mm-hmm. I was going, I was going through a period where, you know, I'm a teacher. So being a teacher during the pandemic was not the easiest job to have, you know, mm-hmm. it was very demoralizing at times. Um, and, you know, I felt overwhelmed a lot of the time. And like, there was just this kind of moment of like, just feeling trapped and trying to get out. And like, I really, I wrote that song after, um, after having a conversation with, with my wife where I was like, I don't know, I kind of feel like I might need to quit my job and, you know, kind of seeing the look of terror in her face when those words came out of my <laughs> mouth where she's like, well, <laughs> okay, but, but what is that? And then, you know, it's also on another level, it's kind of talking about what we're doing here in the punk scene, you know, where it's like the music that we play, like, all of the fans of this music, they have their own bands. And in this way, this weird way, we're all being kind of like the idea was like, we're each other's butlers. No one's making any money in that scenario. We're just serving each other. Yeah, we're serving each other. We're buying each other's records and things like that. And it's like keeping this cycle going, but there's like nothing really behind it, right? No one's one's making any money because everyone I know spends more money on records than you know, their band ever generates. Um, oh, yeah. Like, the the two ideas that kind of collided to make that song, and then I just kind of took this silly premise. And, you know, Channel 101, I don't know if you're familiar with what Channel 101 is, but there's a film festival in Los Angeles. They do, it's mm-hmm. like a monthly film festival. Um, and we took the song titles from shows that were in that film festival. Oh, uh, no shit. And so, so, you know, one of the things, it, it, the idea came to me because the first song I wrote for the project was Laser Fart. Um, after I was trying to put, um, I was trying to put pajamas on my daughter and she was running around pretending to shoot lasers out of her butt. <laughs> and she said, pew, 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 butt pew. And I thought that was so funny. And I wrote a song like the next day. And then I like... Matt asked me about the term laser fart. And he's like, where'd that come from? And I start telling him that, but then I Googled it and I'm like, Oh, there's a channel one on show. And it was so <laughs> funny to me because previously I'd written call me Cobra. That one was written as a band like back years and years ago. Um, <clears throat> and we had discovered at the time after we wrote it, like, Oh, there's a channel one one show starring Drew Carey um, <laughs> with that title. And it, you know, it had nothing to do with it. But it was just so funny twice taken um, titles from this like website that was kind of like a comedy version of YouTube before YouTube existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had watched some of these shows, some of the kind of more known, known shows that had come out of this, uh, you know, like the guys from the Lonely Island had done stuff with them. Uh, mm-hmm. It was created by Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub, who um, 
you know, Dan Harmon created Community and co-created Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty actually came out of the Channel One web- website. That's uh, it correct. Started yep. off as um, so. So I immediately, after realizing I'd inadvertently stolen two song, song titles <laughs> from shows of this, I thought back to an interview with Ben Weasel when uh, Tarantula came out where he was mm-hmm. talking about how they had basically written both of those albums over the span of a couple weeks, just taking all of those song titles from movies that had, um, that had been in mystery science theater 3000, you mm-hmm. know, that they had just kind of like taken a collection of song titles. They just had a list and they just divvied up the list and wrote the songs. And I thought like, well, you know, I want to do this project while everything's locked down. It doesn't feel right using songs that I've already written, but how am I going to write a bunch of songs quickly? And I thought like, well, having this kind of database of concepts that I can draw from. Mm. And then I was like, I can kind of channel whatever it is that I'm feeling or observing in the world and kind of put that as subtext to it. Uh, But you know, use those titles to say whatever it is that I want to say, like that was kind of how I arrived at like, okay, I could, I could write songs pretty quickly because having the concept is the toughest thing for me. Like I can sit down mm-hmm. and I can write a melody and I can, you know, put together a, a song pretty quickly, but knowing what I want to say and like writing lyrics and having a concept for it, that's the toughest part. So it was like, okay, I'm going to bypass the toughest part of this. Um, by kind of drawing on this, you know, and, and through the course of it, you know, I, like I said, I'd seen some channel one-on-one shows before, but I hadn't seen all of them. And so over the course, I'm like experiencing all of this stuff that has been created by people over, you know, the past 30 years or so, or however long the, the website's been going. Um, And so I kind of experienced all these shows, watched all of these shows and, became a a big fan of it as I was going on Um, and the original idea for it was and and Matt from out loud kind of talked me out of this because he was like (laughs) are you sure this is gonna be a lot of work and I was gonna do an EP every month oh wow the way that the channel 101 film festival works is you know you record these these basically pilots for shows and then everyone gets together and they have a screening every month and the audience votes on the ones that they like best and those get renewed for another episode. And then you have one month to record a second episode to write, produce, and um, get ready for screening another episode. And you basically oh, wow. do this as long as you can. And so the idea was I was going to do a monthly EP series and then allow people to vote on their favorite song and that one would get renewed and I'd have to write a sequel to it. So I'd have to write, record, and get ready to release another EP within a month. Um, oh, wow. And so that was the original idea. And Matt was like, that's kind of impractical. He thought about doing it as an album. Um, yeah. But um, I still really liked the idea. I like I like putting pressure on myself. I like backing myself into a corner because I feel like it uh, stimulates a lot of creativity. So... Mm-hmm. A season season two of Channel One Hundred One isn't necessarily out of the realm of possibility. We're we're considering doing it at some point, and we'd probably do a similar thing where we like record all the new songs and then have people like 
vote on their like four or five favorite songs from the album and then we'd have a month to record uh sequels to them and you know what i like too is with with the world of science fiction and horror and that 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 world is that you, you touched on it you have a topic of where you can start yeah and you can take any it's like a killer you can either be okay, this is what the killer's doing. Or you could be like, this is what the killer's thinking. Or this is what the victim is doing. Or this is what the victim is saying. It's the same thing with science fiction. Uh, Mm -hmm. What's the robot thinking? What's it doing? How's it feeling? What's the victim thing? you You can create almost endless possibilities, but as long as you got that core, that core idea then you can expand from any direction you want to go with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think that that's one of the things that in the pop punk scene we're really good at is taking kind of these existing things and finding new avenues and ways to kind of explore um, different aspects of it. I mean, because, you know, you look at some of these like horror franchises and like how many songs have been written about the evil dead and Mm -hmm. how many great songs have been written about the evil dead. Um, There are almost endless avenues to explore. Um, And so that was kind of where I, where I came from with this was, I was like, okay, well, I want to have like a way in something that feels relatable to me. Um, and kind of, you know, and some of the songs are very straight, directly inspired by the shows that they took the titles from. Others, I purposely waited to watch the show until after I wrote the song because I was like, oh, no, I have an idea of what I want this song to be and what I want this song to say. So I'm going to write the song and then I'm going to go back and watch the show and see if they line up. And some of them lined up. Some of them did not at all. Um, but... <laughs> It's it's and it's cool too because then you watch other bands who were starting to do it too or have made a career out of doing it where they may they may decide to do an album of a specific thing like I just found out uh, this the band Vista Blue yeah they're gonna do an album of songs about the Outsiders oh nice and he, he just put out might just put out a song called Cherry. Yeah, and, and I was just like, "That's so. That's what's so incredible about pop punk. Uh, you know, the the bubble stuff is like, who thinks about that? Who yeah. thinks about creating an album around a movie that's almost forty years old? Yeah, and just it, it, it's incredible. And he and him and uh, my buddy John, they they did songs uh, uh, about uh, the Sandlot." Yeah, and it's just like it almost feels like pop punk's the only genre that really takes chances when it comes to things like that. I think more so, well, at least more so than any other genre. I think because yeah, anything I, can be uh, an album. Absolutely, and I think that there's there's a lot of creativity that can happen from that limitation of oh yeah, I'm going to write an entire album about that you know, about the Sandlot, you know? Yeah. Uh, Where it's just like, okay, it seems like there's this kind of finite source material that you could draw from. But like you said, there's there's all these possibilities. And 
by kind of narrowing your focus in, it really does help um, stimulate you to think about things in a way that you wouldn't necessarily, right? So now you're like mm-hmm. looking at like, what is the motivation of like every character in this movie? How can I like expand on that and create an album? I mean, one of my favorite albums of all time is not economically viable by the methadones. Like yeah, that album. And yeah, I mean, it's all songs written about uh, falling down. Yep. And, you know, you would not think that there's like that much that you could draw on from there, but he found ways to say really amazing, insightful things through, um, through exploring the themes of that movie. And that just goes to show you, if you're a good songwriter, you can write about anything. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, and it's, when you do, it's really easy. I, I feel like it's really easy to write a song about, oh, the girl that got away. Yeah. I feel like it's really easy to write a song about a high school. But it's really hard to write something around something that already exists. Mm-hmm. And trying to 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 create your own your own interpretation and how your style of writing to fit within something that already exists to to the masses already like that 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 seems like such a difficult thing, but when it's executed well, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I completely agree, um, and that's what it it all comes down to the execution of it.
and I think, like you said, the pop punk scene seems to do that a lot more uh, than than other other genres. Like I feel like pop pop punk gravitates more towards kind of those sorts of explorations of. Um, they don't take themselves so seriously. Yeah. And that's that's the important thing is outside of wearing Chuck Taylors and, you know, wearing pocket tees and leather jackets, there's not a lot of pretension with the pop punk scene. It's it's a lot of comic books and chewing bubble gum and mm-hmm. being degenerates and pop culture references and watching movies late at night. It's it's very much being a being a person, being you know, being a person living your daily life is is it's easily it's easily transversed into music into a scene because there's no there's no real filter to it. Yeah. And no posturing and no you know, finger pointing or, you know, egos, you know, nothing like that. It's like, you can walk up to, you can walk up to Joe Queer at the end of the night and shake his hand and say, good show. You can't yeah. do that with all the genres of, of or all the subgenres within the punk scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> one of the things that like has always struck me about this scene is just the, how accessible all these people that I think of as legends are um you know i I remember emailing dan vapid when the first methadones record came out and like i was trying to start a zine at that point (laughs) you know i was just some like 20 year old kid who just like found his email address online and just wrote to him and was like i'd love to interview and he was like yeah let's do it um and it was just yeah I, i think it's just so refreshing however how approachable everyone in this scene is um and i think you know the i guess the sad undertone of that is how difficult it is to make a living um in this genre even if you're a phenomenal songwriter like joe queer or you know like if if joe queer was making millions and millions of dollars doing this you know he'd probably have like a private backstage area and all of this stuff but as it is he's hanging around watching the show with everyone else and he's very approachable and um and even you even brought up too talking about you know you 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 talked to dan i had i had john jughead reach out to me to do an interview yeah i was because i interviewed all the guys from the cobains and they do the the mitochondriacs together yeah, he messages me and goes, "Hey, do you want to have the fourth mitochondriac on?" I start pacing around the flat. I know I probably said this story ad nauseum, but I'm pacing around the house like having a mini panic. And like the 13 year old me is like coming out, and yeah. my wife's like, "What's wrong?" And I was like, "John Jughead, what's me to interview him?" And she's like, "Who's John Jughead?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I'm like, like, I don't know, one half of one of the best. Ramones core bands of all time you know what I mean like you know yeah. I mean and... he he innovated a guitar style where it's like it, you can't hear any of the bands like 
in this genre without like you know it's like almost a rite of passage you know you have to record like the jughead guitar solo you know it's just uh and he's so fucking humble about it like he doesn't yeah. think it was a big deal yeah and i'm like dude you for 20 years you revolutionized pop punk guitar playing yeah like that's a big that's a big fucking deal and he's just like eh. yeah He's like, I also do theater. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you're just like, what the hell? But he's like, and you find the most humblest people from there, whether it's John Jughead or you mentioned Joe or even people like Kepi. And yeah. they're they're just the nicest people in the world. But when we were 13, 14 years old listening to these records, we we, we thought they were so so unattainable. Yeah. Like, we thought they were rock stars, and they were just like, no, they're average Joes. Yeah. And some of those average Joes wrote some of the best songs of the last 35 years. Yeah, absolutely. But, Carl, I want to ask you before you get going. Um, I love, like I told you earlier, I, I love your band. I actually took the time uh, before we, you know, when we set up the interview to go back and listen to your older stuff. Um, now that you guys are, that we're slowly getting out of the pandemic, are you yeah. guys going to be touring or are you guys more limited to the Fresno area as far as doing live shows? I mean, we're, we're going to be more limited to the Fresno area. Um, not saying that a tour wouldn't happen, just we're going to be very limited in what we can do, uh, cause you know, we've got families and careers to consider. And you're um, a teacher, too, so that yeah. makes it very limited for you. Yeah, and, I, and I'm a teacher at a year-round school, so it's it's not even oh, like, oh, wow. I've got summers off. Um, you know, and, and our drummer's very much in the same boat where he has vacation time he can take from work, but it's not, you know, it, it's finite in what what it can be. So we're, we're trying to make the out-of-town shows that we play count, um, and we hope to... We hope to get out of the Fresno area a bit in the next couple of years and like create opportunities for people outside of our area to check us out live. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's difficult. And so we're kind of going about it in a very methodical and careful way. We're going to, we're going to definitely book some stuff, but pretty limited. Nice. And like you mentioned earlier, you, you you're going to be doing more, you're going to continuously doing stuff with Out Loud as well as Athena, as Athena's record label. Um, so that really makes it easy for you guys to, to be able to kind of decide where certain projects are going to go between the two labels. Yeah, I mean, I, I think most of it's going to be most of it's going to be through Athena. But, you know, I like we have a collection of songs that are like kind of rare and unreleased from like our first 10 years as a band they want to put out and i'd already talked to matt at one point about like yeah do you want to put it out and he said absolutely so it's like um so he'll be doing the cd version of that i'm sure athena will be doing other formats um of that so anything we put out is going to be you know it's going to be little lost girl uh but there will be some stuff that that out loud will be doing the CD for, and then there's you know, um, 
memorable, not honorables out there for cassettes or, you know, eight oh, tracks. Yeah. And I, and I, I love what, what memorable, but not honorable is doing. Like they, they put out some really awesome cassettes with, with really cool packaging too. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm a big fan of what they're doing. You know, if they ever came calling, I'd probably want to do something with them, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, Athena is really, looking to expand things and and do a lot more stuff and we've got a lot of ideas for things that we want to do you know we've got our uh, our future classics the the eps and things from like our our future record collections that we brought back with us all these fictional bands we created which i Um, do that's so fucking cool dude that's just like i'm over here cheesing dude like that's so cool that's like the shit we used to think about when we were kids, creating fictitious bands and well, all and, these storylines. And like, we thought we were fucking weird, but yeah. here we are as adults doing the same thing. And it's like, that's, that's awesome. Well, I mean, and that's where it came out of was it just like Matt and me, one of our favorite pastimes is just kind of coming up with stupid band names and like, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I have this like Google Doc that is just full of band names that I come up with. Uh, you know, whenever I think of one, I write it down and it's just like, I've got all of that there. And then, you know, um, and then some of them, then we <laughs> end up talking about, well, what would this band be? And we come up with a backstory and then it's. Um, so, yeah, we thought we'd we'd release some of that stuff. And, you know, the idea with it is we want to make it like super limited where mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it's like kind of like with this seven inch that we just put out where it's like pre-sale only, you know, once you, once the pre-sale's done, you can't get your hands on it. We're just going to press like a finite copy number of mm-hmm. copies. Um, you know, the original idea uh, was going to be, we're just going to press it on CD, like limited hand numbered CDs. And the only way that you can get it is if you order a shirt from us or buy an album and we just throw it in for free. Oh, that was the original cool. idea for it, where it's just like, it won't even be available digitally. Like, you just have to get the physical media. Um, you know, one of the things that, like, I've kind of thought a lot about is there's so many things that bands do. It's all based around this idea of, like, how can I make my music, get my music out to the most number of people mm-hmm. that I possibly can? Um and I've just kind of been thinking like, well, is that necessarily the right approach all the time? Yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, if you create something special and you reward people for being a fan of your band, for taking the time to like, oh, I'm going to order this shirt off of Bandcamp or I'm going to show up to one of their shows and I'm going to come talk to them afterwards to have something that you can be like, here, this is like, you can't get this anywhere else. You can't find it online. Um mm-hmm. And it like, you know, it creates this this feeling like you've almost been led into like a secret club. Like you you're one of the few people that gets to experience this thing. You know, that that was kind of my idea for the future classics thing was not necessarily make it super accessible, but just yeah. like um very limited. And then maybe at some point put out like a collection of all of these singles as like a full length. Mm-hmm. But um but, you know, it came out of the idea of, like, people really like limited 
kind of special things you know i mean mm-hmm. how many how many people in our scene collect like every variant of every vinyl that comes out and like yeah not every band has the resources to press things on vinyl so you know mm-hmm. the, the, our kind of workaround was like well what if we did these like limited hand number cds um and just like only made them available to people that really like the band and it'll kind of create that same that same feeling but you don't have to spend Mm-hmm. you know well that's like but i i just recently put out uh the band the prozacs yeah um i just put out their original demos and me and jay were me and jay prozac were sitting down talking and he's like i want 100 copies that's it yeah so he's like 100 copies no repressings nothing you know we we do these bundles we'll give you know other cds along with a bundle so if people want to buy another, you know, people, you have your choice of three CDs. We have two bundles, an extra CD yeah. or three. I'll get all three of the extra CDs. Yeah. You know, and it was that way of just making it like a special thing. You know, 20 years of a band. Here's the original recordings that nobody's ever heard of. So here, you know what I mean? And we made it available and it's only 100, 100 copies. Yeah, I, I think that that's like... That stuff is it's important to to make it make something special in mm-hmm. today's world where music is really kind of treated as a disposable commodity um and yeah, I want to reward the effort for the people that are that are real fans of the music and go out and seek it out mm-hmm. um, so we try to do special things you know that are, that awesome. are gonna make people make people like excited about what we're doing um that's really awesome and you know that's really cool and you know it was it was a blast getting to sit and talk to you yeah yeah thanks for having me on this has been awesome awesome and i want to employ the listener please go check out mantis watch on uh on uh, Bandcamp, facebook spotify anywhere where you get your uh, music or hit them up and get a physical copy like like roll punkers do <laughs> <laughs> Carl thank you so much man for coming on and talking about the band um, letting me into your role a little bit more uh, learning a lot more about the band was really fun and just your insights on, on the scene in general um, it was a really good time talking to you oh well thanks thank you for having me on You're welcome. Well, Carl, enjoy the rest of your weekend, and I'll be talking to you here real soon. All right. Sounds good. Have a good one, man. All right. You too. Bye. All right. Bye.